You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, alongside Nick Lee. Nick, game day is rapidly approaching. Thank goodness after that dud that the Seahawks played last weekend at home. We've got a lot to talk about going into Seattle's NFC West opener against Arizona. Yeah, it's always nice to you're always anxious to get a game in after a game like that because boy, that that's one that to forget for sure. It was just a, a very strange outcome <laughs> against the Saints, and it's nice that we finally can turn the page and talk about the Cardinals. And this will not be a picnic either. No, it will not. Starting off today's podcast, there's some big news that we're going to be covering coming out of the VMAC. It's actually linked to yesterday, one of the news stories I covered. Kind of an interesting day today for John Schneider and the Seahawks front office. In the second quarter, Nick and I are going to suck it up and revisit the last three times the Seahawks played in Arizona, which has become a house of horrors for Pete Carroll's squad. And then we'll wrap up with an up-close look at what's new for the Cardinals. And I can tell you, Nick, that might take a while for us to get through. They've had a ton of turnover in the desert. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Nick, I have always had incredible respect for John Schneider and the fact he does such great work as a general manager, but I don't think I could handle his job for one big reason. I don't know how those who are in such a position of power can handle the relationship aspect of this business when you're constantly, you know, you're constantly shuffling your roster, bringing in new players each week, and it's got to be really challenging. But that's just part of the business. It is, and it's it's NFL not for long. It's a meat market, uh, to put it bluntly. And it's, it's a what have you done for me lately league. And no matter what kind of name you have, no matter what you've done in the past, it's all about what you can do now and what you can do in the future. And it's a really quick term we've seen in Seattle. We, um, you know, Richard Sherman, uh, Earl Thomas, where, yeah, we they're probably Ring of Honor players, but we've moved on very fast from those guys. And probably uh, the other on the other side as well, they've they wanted to move on, too. But, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's it's a tough business. I do not envy. I mean, of course, I wouldn't mind his uh, John Schneider's salary, but I do not envy his day to day job of having to deal with this. Yeah, it was for, we're talking about uh, Gary Jennings Jr., the receiver, of course, and just the saga that was um, the last few days. Of course, Adam Schef- Adam Schefter reporting first that um, that the fourth round wide receiver had been waived, making room for safety Adrian Colbert to be um, to be elevated from the practice squad to the active roster and. And that sent a whole like, oh, the Seahawks are giving up on a draft pick, and all, and that that uh, that started this this Twitter storm of sorts. And and yeah, he had been struggling. He he had struggled to to make a name for himself. But really, the the story was just beginning. Yeah, it really was, because yesterday that was what was reported, as you said, by Adam Schefter, that Gary Jennings, that fourth-round pick out of West Virginia, you mentioned the struggles. He had one reception in the entire preseason, just wasn't able to stand out in training camp practices either, and it looked like he was going to be heading into a very exclusive club alongside Chris Harper, who was a receiver the Seahawks drafted in 2013. He was also a fourth-round pick that never actually played a game for the Seattle Seahawks. It looked like Gary Jennings was going to be joining him and that's not a club you necessarily want to join but that's what it looked like was going to happen the Seahawks are going to move on from their fourth rounder and then today things get crazy this is what a lot of fans may not realize when a team waves a player 
they have until 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, at least in Seattle's case. It's 4 p.m. Eastern, but they have a certain amount of time before that player officially hits waivers. And so that gives you an opportunity, if you change your mind real quick, that you can change who the player is that you are waiving. And that's what the Seahawks chose to do here. And it's crazy. Gary Jennings did not practice yesterday, which if he would have practiced, then the Seahawks would have had to make a move waiving him. But since they held him out, uh, they handled proper protocol. They were able to change their minds before that 1 p.m. deadline today. And they decided to release Brian Monet instead, the big three. 366-pound undrafted rookie defensive tackle who's actually played a lot of snaps, 71 defensive snaps the first three games for the Seahawks, a big-bodied presence, a great run defender. So that's going to hurt the defensive line depth quite a bit. I think this move speaks volumes, though, about who they are playing this week more than anything. The Cardinals are going to be slinging the ball all over the place. They're running an air raid offense. Not going to run the ball very much. So maybe not having a 366-pound defensive tackle, that might not be as big of a deal in this particular game. Bringing up another safety like Colbert, who has a lot of speed and can defend the pass, there's a reason they're making this move. But it's interesting. They must have decided after they made this move initially that, you know what, Gary Jennings still has enough upside. We don't want to give up on him. We don't think he's going to clear waivers to make practice squad. And we end up with this crazy fiasco. Yeah, I think they're anticipating a, a track meet of sorts with the Cardinals, and um, you you want to make sure you have as many uh, bullets in the holster as you can with receivers. And and yes, it does hurt the D line, especially with Jaron Reed still in suspension. And we, none of us were impressed, of course, with that pass rush against the Saints. Unfortunately, Ziggy Ansah and Jadavion Clowney very very quiet um, in that game, and, and it's been well documented how disappointing uh, they, they both were in that performance. And now, yeah, you got Al Woods and Puna Ford leading the way. Um, of course, defensive tackles at Brian Monet certainly hurts the depth. But yeah, just how this was all handled was was I mean, it, it's it, it's probably really unfortunate that it came out on social media because maybe they, they were still having uh, second thoughts about it. And with social media these days, as, as soon as something leaks like that and you hate for a player to find out about getting cut or getting traded via social media, but it happens so often these days because sources that especially for Adam Schefter, who's one of the be- best in the game as far as sources and, and reporting news he is on top of it and uh it's and they they ended up rescinding their waiver claim from gary jennings and he is kind of a new lease on life at least for now yeah this is just an interesting it's just really bizarre and i look back at the way that the sequence of events played out you mentioned social media gary jennings posted something he tweeted that god has a plan and a lot of people were throwing their hands up in the air like he must be getting cut and this is before adam Schefter even said anything this is how people handle things now with social media and i looked at that tweet as like well that could mean that god's plan is to keep him on the seahawks too we don't know so like yes I he was, does I, we just don't know I, it I guess I uh, wasn't as surprised as some people when I saw the news today. It was just it's just crazy that things – I feel bad for Brian Monet, but that's the way this business works. And then you have Jennings who's like – he was told – that's what reports indicate. He was told he was getting cut. So he was thinking, I'm out of Seattle, and now Monet's the one. And it, it's kind of like – uh, you know, breaking up with somebody and then two minutes later, you know what? I made the wrong decision. Let's get back together. That's really what this function like. So just an interesting, bizarre situation. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash locked on to try for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. 
Coming up after the break, Nick and I are going to be bold here. We're going to go back and look at the last three games the Seahawks have played in Glendale. They've won two of them, and the other one was a tie. So from a win-loss standpoint, it's been good. But every everything else, the other factors, injuries, things like that, it's been pretty ugly. So we're going to look back at those three games when we come back from the break. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. There's nothing I enjoy more in this world than attending a sporting event or a concert. When I'm looking for my next live event, I roll with Vivid Seats, an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime. Vivid Seats allows you to see your favorite live entertainment in person, earning credit back on all purchases made through the Vivid Seats app via the Vivid Seats Reward Loyalty Program. With reward statuses ranging from MVP to Hall of Famer, customers can earn from 10% up to 16% credit on all their purchases through the app. Struggling to find your seat? You can also use the Vivid Seats app to find your way. All Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by 100% guarantee. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you to get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout now to receive a discount up to $100. Thanks to Vivid Seats for sponsoring our podcast. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with MyBookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter what you bet or how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Welcome back, 12s. This is the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, alongside Nick Lee. Nick, University of Phoenix Stadium has been a house of horrors of sorts for the Seahawks. Weird, not because of the results of the games. They are 5-0-1 in their last six games there. They have not lost in Arizona since Russell Wilson was a rookie back in 2012. It's just that the field has taken many Seahawks victims like a haunted graveyard. So we're going to be bold here, and I guess you could say we're going to make ourselves miserable a little bit here. We're going to take a look back at some of those most recent uh, games and look at the bad juju from Arizona. It is like, uh, you know, the, the zombie hands. It's like something out of the thriller music video. <laughs> They're just coming out of the grave and grabbing Seahawks by the ankles and yanking them down to you know where. <laughs> let's go to the first one, which actually the, in 2016 in October, it really um, it was more non-injury related. Just a weird, wacky game um, in, in 2016. The Missed, worst, it, it was I, the worst thrilling football game I've ever seen. It was, yeah, it was the worst, best, most exciting, boring football game I've ever seen. And I just think of the <laughs> Buzz Lightyear Woody meme, like, missed field goals, mixed field goals everywhere. Total of three missed field goals by the two kickers, and the score was 3-3, three to three, not at the end of the first quarter, not at the end of the first half. The score was 3-3 three to three at the end of regulation, which was weird enough. It was set up by a Tanner McAvoy block punt. The Seahawks might have even lost this game 3 nothing had Tanner McAvoy not gone and blocked that punt. 
Yeah, their offense was offensive in that game. <laughs> it was not fun to watch. <laughs> they traded field goals in overtime. and I remember this game. I was still in the Midwest at the time, so it was like 1 in the morning when this game finished up. And I was thinking, why am I still watching this game when neither team can move the football at all? And when they do, they make huge mistakes. Uh, Arizona's kicker Chandler Cananzaro missed a chip shot 24-yarder for the win in overtime. And then Steven Hauschka ends up missing a field goal, which he was one of the most reliable kickers in the NFL at the time. It just, it was one of those really weird games. You know, you know, Seattle drove right down the field after Canton Zaro missed that kick. And to see Hauschka go out there, normally a reliable kicker, you're in a dome, so you don't have to worry about the elements. You had 11 seconds left in overtime, and then he just shanks the field goal. It was just one of those games I could not believe what I was witnessing. And one could argue that's probably the beginning of the end of Hauschka's rule in, in Seattle. I think that's when maybe the coaches soured on him a little bit and, and kind of thought that he was on a decline, which he's bounced back and had a couple decent years for Buffalo. Um, but I think that was towards the – that was the, feels like the Cardinal going to the Cardinal Stadium, University of Phoenix Stadium, becomes the beginning of the end or the end for lots of Seahawks, unfortunately. And this game ended in a 6-6 to tie because he missed that field goal with 11 seconds left. The lowest scoring overtime tie in NFL history. So that just, just sums up how weird, boring, awesome, crazy that game was. They had so many chances to win it. They had so many chances to lose it. So fittingly, and ended in a tie. I remember that game. The thing that really jumped out to me, if I remember right, the Seahawks had like a hundred defensive plays in the football game, and Richard Sherman played all of them. Several guys played all of them, and I just can't even imagine playing one hundred snaps in one night in an NFL game. It's, it's just the amount of fatigue that you could see. Players were coming off the field with cramps, and guys just you don't see players look as tired as they did that night. And the offense couldn't take advantage on either side. So, like you mentioned, it was ugly, but yet there was just there was something about it that made it a thrilling game to watch. They were so inept that it was fun. And you don't normally <laughs> say that. It's not like the Browns-Seahawks game back in 2011 where it was like, I forget, I think it was like 6-3 to three or something, and that game made you as a viewer want to pull your eyes out of your head because <laughs> it was the worst football you've ever seen. But we'll save that for when the Browns game comes up later in the season. But uh, 2017, Seahawks obviously playing Arizona every year. That game was kind of wacky in its own right, too. Seattle has a 15-7 to lead at the half. They were able to get a safety against running back Adrian Peterson to give them an early 9-7 to lead. So that safety makes the score at half a little bit weird. But what really stinks about this game, Nick, it was the beginning of the end for the Legion of Boom in this particular game. Richard Sherman popped his Achilles in the second half. Cam Chancellor played most of the game and at the very end of regulation exited the field with a neck injury. Nobody knew how serious it really was. Ended up being a career-ending injury. And those two weren't the only ones that suffered injuries in that game. Jaron Reed left early. Sheldon Richardson got banged up. Frank Clark got banged up. Dwayne Brown got banged up. It was just a a game littered with injuries and some of them were really serious the last time we got to see Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor wearing Seahawks uniforms yeah it kind of felt like it was the Civil War movies you, you see where guys are just being carried off in stretchers that are are half alive still just from battle to the medical tent and hopefully they can survive I mean, just I felt like they were just running around with stretchers all game long I mean it was it was bizarre it was almost like 
you know those games, most, I guess it's kind of most NFL games now where you're after a big play, you're like, okay, where's the flag? Like, that's, that's kind of the thing everyone waits for now. And this game, I was like, okay, who's hurt this play? <laughs> that's kind of what happened. That's kind of how it felt like from, I was like, all right, who's hurt this game? And I remember when the, when, when Richard Sherman came off the field and I was kind of, we were kind of watching him on the sidelines and I remember them zooming in on his face and I could read his lips saying, yep, it's torn. My Achilles, it's torn. It's torn. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Richard Sherman just tore his Achilles. And, but that was before the news broker thing. I think just Richard Sherman's season just ended. And it, sure enough, not only that, his Seahawks career ended, and we lost two Legion of Boom legends forever as a Seahawk in one night. Just unreal. Somehow the Seahawks won that game 22-16, to 16, but that's certainly one of those games that might have been more of a net loss than a win. That's one of those costly victories that after the game, yeah, we won, but I can't stop thinking about all the players that we lost in the process. It felt hollow. You know, it's still, you'll take any win you can get, but it's hard to celebrate one when two of your best players that have been your best players for several years, they helped you win a Super Bowl and make another one, and then they're suddenly both hurt. You don't have them the rest of the season. And then we can fast forward to last year, which, interestingly, the Seahawks played in Arizona in Week 4, which they're doing this year as well. This game started innocently enough. The Cardinals had a 10-7 lead at the half. This was really a defensive slugfest and kind of ugly offensive performances from both teams, too. But the defenses were playing really well. Unfortunately, the injury bug hits the Seahawks again. The first one was Will Disley who had a really good first three games for the Seahawks last year, ends up tearing his patellar tendon. He's out for the season. Luckily, he's come back really good. He's looked great these first four games, or first three games for the Seahawks in 2019. But uh, that put his future in question. That's a really serious injury. And, of course, the most famous injury that you could, you could maybe argue the most famous injury in team history with the way things played out, Earl Thomas. We know he held out last year. And then he showed up for week one, was playing outstanding football the first few weeks, ends up breaking his leg. And and when he left the field, uh, kind of a, dis- a distasteful gesture towards Pete Carroll on the Seahawks sideline. Yeah, he flipped off the sidelines, uh, flipped him the bird. And uh, it, it, it was direct. And he later admitted it was tor- directed uh, more in the direction of Pete Carroll and um, and how things were handled. And Pete Carroll, of course, is, is not one to pile on a guy or or call a guy out. Of course, we know Pete Carroll very well in that sense, and, and he was very defensive. You know, he's saying Earl Thomas has gone through a lot, and he's battling. He's, he's, a, he's a good hard worker and good kid. And all, saying all the right things, it's not like Pete Carroll's going to fire back at him, especially not jump on him while he's down, which Earl Thomas was probably, that was probably one of the lowest points of his NFL career. And, and luckily for him, he's bounced back and playing with the Ravens, and good for him. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not wishing any ill will on him. I I do kind of have a bad taste in my mouth about how this ended because that was a very immature move. I get that he was frustrated. He was holding out. He wanted a new contract. And, of course, he's one of the best, if not the greatest, at least top three uh, defensive players in Seahawks history and maybe a a Hall of Famer down the line. Um, So certainly it all came crashing down at, at, at once here. And really you kind of understood that that was probably it for him as a Seahawk. And that's just an unfortunate way that he ended a Seahawks career with such a gesture. And again, the Seahawks off, uh, despite all this somehow won the game 20 to 17 on a last second field goal by Sebastian Janikowski. So all let's remember this uh, Sunday. If all hell breaks loose, the Seattle has found a way in the past to just somehow win these games. So don't lose all hope if things go awry again. Hopefully, after three games in a row of there being all these bizarre, crazy things happening, all the ridiculous injuries, hopefully this year it can be normal, knock on wood, (laughs) but it does stink that 
you have to consider now that the last image of Earl Thomas in a Seahawks uniform, all the amazing things that he did during his time with the Seahawks, playing in Super Bowls, being an all-pro selection multiple times, a fan favorite. The last image of him is on a cart getting wheeled off the field and flipping off Pete Carroll on the sidelines. It stinks. Like you said, you can understand he was frustrated, but you never want to see a, a player take it to that level. And in the heat of battle, though, Things like that happen. So that's something to be remembered forever. Hopefully at some point, Earl Thomas and the Seahawks later down the line when he's no longer playing, hopefully they can settle their differences and he can get put in the ring of honor and eventually be a Hall of Fame member, mostly built on his Seahawks career. When we come back in the third quarter, Nick and I are going to look at what's new in Arizona. And really, we should title it What's Not New because they've got a new coach and their roster has been completely turned over on both sides of the football. So we've got a lot of new players to talk about heading into Sunday's Week 4 contest. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You know that sting you feel every time you pay an overdraft fee? Let me pour some salt in the wound. Big banks make $33 billion off of the overdraft fees they charge us each year. That's what the Dave app is here to stop. Dave is the number one budgeting app in America because it saves you from overdraft fees, tells you about upcoming bills, and can advance up to $75 from your next paycheck with no credit check and no interest. Get the Dave app and for just $1 per month, that's $12 a year, which is way less than an overdraft fee, and you'll never have to pay one again. Mark Cuban is an investor in Dave because he got crushed by overdraft fees in his 20s and wants you to never pay an overdraft fee again. Three million people already use Dave to save up to $1,000 a year in overdraft fees. That's why it's the number one budgeting app in the App Store. Go to dave.com slash locked on. It really helps the show if you let them know you heard them here. Then download Dave and never pay another overdraft fee again. It's immediate savings. Go now, dave.com slash locked on. Spelled just like it sounds, D-A-V-E, dave.com slash locked on. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, alongside Nick Lee. Nick, Seahawks getting ready for their NFC West opener in Arizona. The Cardinals are 0-2-1, but they've been really competitive the first three games of the season. Fell apart a little bit last weekend against the Carolina Panthers, but uh, allowing Kyle Allen, the undrafted quarterback, to throw for four touchdowns. But the Cardinals have been competitive. Their offense has moved the ball really well at times. And now the Seahawks will get to play a team that looks totally different from what they did last year. It was a, a really bad season for the Cardinals, the lone year where they had Steve Wilkes of the help running the team. And the Cardinals decided after one year, you know what, we're going to make another change. They bring in Cliff Kingsbury and the air raid offense, and now their roster, it, you almost can't recognize it compared to last season. Yeah, it's almost like FanDuel, like the weekly fantasy things where you just you erase the team the next week and you just draft another one. That's kind of what the Cardinals did this past year. And, of course, it starts with Kyler Murray, number one overall pick. I have been not very high on him. I, I haven't gotten the hype. I will say um, he's made some plays and, and done some things I didn't expect, and he has 830 yards, four touchdowns, three picks, uh, 61.3 completion percentage. So um, his numbers – aren't horrible of course they're not eye-popping either but he's done some things and I've, I've he's put the Cardinals in positions to win games late and and really that's all you can ask for especially from a rookie quarterback so I've been impressed with that addition of course the most headline addition um, another one that they've added is of course former Seahawk J.R. Sweezy it's almost like we swapped guards <laughs> in that sense it was an informal trade Sweezy <laughs> for was. Mikey Potty yep 
Yeah, so uh, we will. I don't know. We'll win that trade, but Jr. Sweezy might have a bit more mileage on the tire or mileage left on the tires than Upati does. Uh, Jordan Hicks was another one. Um, came over from the Eagles. Really outside good linebacker. pickup for them. Really good pickup, and I, I, you know that I pay attention, close attention to the Eagles. Um, was part of their Super Bowl team. Um, battled some injuries, but had three sacks last year in twelve games for the Eagles. And now he comes to the Cardinals, and I, I think he's going to be a fine uh, linebacker there. Speaking of linebackers, of course. Maybe their biggest defensive addition is, is probably is a not probably will be future Hall of Famer Terrell Suggs. Suggs has been a really nice addition for them. He had two sacks the first game of the season uh, when they came back. That was an incredible comeback against the Detroit Lions just to tie the football game. weren't able to get the victory, but Suggs had a really good game. Got to Matt Stafford several times. He's kind of cooled off the last couple weeks. Hasn't been near as productive, but even at his age, nearing 40 years old, he is still a really good pass rusher, and I agree with you 100%. This guy's a Hall of Famer. He's had so many great seasons for the Baltimore Ravens. A lot of their historic defenses he was one of the focal points, one of their premier pass rushers. And so he's had a great career, and he's still very productive. He's a guy the Seahawks are going to have to watch out for rushing off the edge. They added tight end Charles Clay. Brett Hundley, the backup quarterback, uh, he's a former Seahawks legend. He played zero snaps for the Seahawks last year in his lone year with the Seahawks. But he is now the backup for Kyler Murray in Arizona. Tremaine Brock is actually starting at corner for them. Well, we'll explain in a little bit why that's the case, but nice veteran addition to their secondary. Clinton McDonald, a former Seahawk in the defensive interior, he's getting some snaps of reserve, and Cassius Marsh, who the Seahawks cut at the end of August after the Jadevian Clowney trade. Marsh actually has a sack, and he's played fairly well for the Cardinals during his first three games with now his third team that he's played for in the NFC West. Yeah, lots of former Seahawks uh, with the Cardinals, kind of a Seahawks recycle bin of sorts. Um, but as far as departures go, Antoine Bethea, probably the most notable, has had a fantastic career playing for the Colts, the Niners, and the Cardinals the past couple of years. Now with the Giants, um, was a was a safety mainstay for a couple of years for the Cardinals, so he he's gone. Um, so they've really had to replace a lot of the secondary. Uh, Marcus Golden, of course, there and, and uh, is gone as well. Mike Upati now with the Seahawks, um, is trying struggling to stay healthy, and and, and he did also struggle to stay healthy. Uh, with the with the Cardinals later on down the line and, and Dion Buchanan, JJ Nelson, and your favorite player that's uh is makes a ton of sense why they let him go, you know, just everyone knows why, is Trey Boston, right? Well, Boston, I, I do look at the Cardinals situation. They they like Buda Baker a lot, which is understandable. So you look at the players that they had at safety, they had Swearinger they brought back, so they decided Boston's probably going to be a little more expensive than we want to play, given the fact we already have those two safeties. But what was mind-boggling to me is that nobody signed him quickly. It took forever for the Panthers to bring back Trey Boston. And so it took a long time for him to sign to somebody. Second straight year that's happened to him, but really good player. Nelson's one of those speedy receivers that can occasionally get open downfield. So he's kind of a one-trick pony, but certainly a guy that gave the Cardinals some good reps over the years. And Buchanan's really the guy there. If I'm the Seahawks, I'm most excited that he's not there anymore because for whatever reason he was that money linebacker you know that undersized safety that can play up near the line of scrimmage we see Mark Barron do that with the Rams and now the Pittsburgh Steelers he's that kind of player and he always gave the Seahawks fits especially when Bruce Arians was still there last year Steve Wilkes came in and Buchanan was unhappy with how he was used so he went to the Buccaneers where Bruce Arians is now coaching and so he's back in his element playing uh, with the Buccaneers and the defense that fits his skill set the Seahawks have to be happy they don't see him for a few more weeks when the Buccaneers come to town not to deal with him again the most notable I guess you could call him a departure because he's not going to play in this football game 
But Patrick Peterson, their star cornerback, he is suspended for the first, I believe, eight games. I think he got an eight-game suspension. And Jaron Reed was suspended six for the Seahawks. So two really key players that will not be playing in this game yet. The uh, Cardinals are going to be without their unsung leader in the secondary for half the season. That's a huge blow to their defense not having him out there. And that's one of the reasons that you've got a veteran like Tremaine Brock starting at corner. And that leads us to the draft class because their second pick in the draft behind Kyler Murray was Byron Murphy. And that should be a very familiar name for Seahawks fans in the Pacific Northwest. He played at the University of Washington. He joins Buda Baker with the Cardinals. So they got two former stars for the Huskers that are now in their secondary, and Murphy's been getting starts as well alongside Tremaine Brock. So the Seahawks are going to get a, get a good look at Byron Murphy as well as Buda Baker in this football game. Yeah, they're going to be testing the, the, the Huskies, the former Huskies secondary there, and it, it's, it's certainly guys that Seahawks fans are rooting the Seahawks would take, um, or Pacific Northwest football fans that the Seahawks would take. Um, but I think the Seahawks have made the, the right decision here. Like Kevin King hasn't quite worked out the same. And, and Buda Baker's a heck of a safety. I think he's going to be just fine in this league. Byron Murphy, the, the jury's still out, but he's had a, a decent start to his career. Two past his defense and 14 tackles in three games so far. Um, Zach Allen, uh, defensive end out of uh, Boston College, is getting a lot of snaps. And also uh, on the receiver side, Andy Isabella has been a healthy scratch uh, for, for a lot of the season. And we were That's interesting I, to me. Yeah, I was high on him out of UMass. I, I, he played against BYU. I watched a lot of film on him, and I, I was really impressed. He, he jumped off the page at me when I was watching him play, and I, I was kind of hoping he'd be maybe the slots, that's an Ursua type of receiver, but it sounds like the Seahawks made a good call not going that way too. You know, who knows? It might just be a system thing, and Isabella still could come in. He might be active this week and go off. We don't know. Uh, this is a perfect offensive system for receivers. You know they're going to be slinging it all over the place, but I'm kind of bummed out that Hakeem Butler, another receiver they drafted, a guy I was really high on in the, in the pre-draft process out of Iowa State, he suffered an injury during training camp, and they had to place him on injured reserve. So he's out for the entire season. It's a redshirt year for him. When they get him back, a huge weapon, six foot six, really athletic. So kind of nice the Seahawks don't have to worry about seeing him, but he's a player I was excited to get to watch in the NFL, and they're certainly missing him, especially with Isabella not getting reps and not playing. Those are their first two receivers they took. They also took Keyshawn Johnson, receiver out of Fresno State. So they got a couple really nice young receivers to work with. Unfortunately, Butler's not going to be playing this game. We'll see if Isabella plays. Deontay Thompson, a safety out of Alabama, he was getting some first-round buzz and ended up falling to day three for whatever reason. But you know he's a good football player coming from the Crimson Tides program. So they had a really darn good draft in Arizona, at least for the future. Right now, Kyler Murray's really the rookie that's given them the most contributions, but Byron Murphy's starting. Zach Allen getting a lot of reps along the defensive line. So a lot of these guys are getting action immediately for the Cardinals, and that bodes well for their future. Not exactly what the Seahawks want to hear, but uh, maybe they'll play better against the Cardinals if the Cardinals are a better football team. The last couple of years, they haven't been good, and the Seahawks have played down to their competition. Maybe if the Cardinals are actually competitive, that will change things for the Seahawks a little bit. Yeah, they usually do have a clunker against the 49ers and or the Cardinals <laughs> um, the past few seasons, and uh, certainly Cliff Kingsbury, I've been critical of that move. I don't. I think that was a bit gimmicky. I'm still very skeptical of him as a head coach because there's a difference between being a good offensive coach, a good offensive coordinator, a good quarterbacks coach, and a head coach. Very good coordinators have not worked out as head coaches, and I think the jury's still out, of course, with, with Kingsbury just three games in, but I think that 
organization as a whole is moving in the right direction, especially if Kyler Murray is the guy. Um, of course, and the jury's still out with him, too. Just three games in, it's hard to judge all these guys, but certainly the the future is brighter. I think they are in better hands with Murray than they were in Rosen. You think I'm low on Murray? You should hear my opinions of Josh Rosen. <laughs> um, I think Murray's a much better uh, athlete, of course, and uh, just a better quarterback overall than Josh Rosen. So they, in that sense, they are moving in the right direction. They are getting deeper with some good draft classes. Um, I think they're in position to eventually replace guys like Patrick Peterson. I think Patrick Peterson, his days are numbered as, as a Cardinal, whether that's be uh, by injury or, or what have you. But I think it's he's declined a little bit. He's an eight-time Pro Bowler, so you want him in there. And the Seahawks will face him down the line, but not, not this week. Overall, they're moving in the right direction. They're still very young, still not very good. So the Seahawks got to make the hay, got to strike while the iron's hot, as they say. Yeah, they're going to take advantage of this opponent because I still think the Cardinals are probably a year or two away. They're going to be a team that I think the end of this season, if Murray really progresses during his rookie season and they can keep the guys around him healthy, that big thing is keeping Murray healthy because that offensive line is kind of shaky. But if they can keep him in the lineup and he progresses, I think they could be a team at the end of the year, which unfortunately the Seahawks play them near the end of the season. But uh, that could be a team that could be a real problem. You don't want to face off against a young, hungry, motivated squad that is looking towards a bright future. It's all going to revolve around Kyler Murray. And of course, does Kingsbury's air raid system work in the NFL? Three games in, it's way too early to know whether or not that's going to be the case. Uh, it'll take a year or two to figure out where they're going from a program standpoint. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at NickLee51. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked on Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. On tomorrow's edition of Locked on Seahawks, former NFL player Ed Smith will be our special guest to break down the Cardinals. I'll also look at some key matchups as well as devising a game plan for Seahawks victory. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.